Hi there. My name is Dr. Pragenta, and I'm the host of the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner, and I want to be your guide into the world of nursing professions. This podcast is a platform for nurses to share their journeys as they made their way in the diverse field of nursing as either entrepreneurs, academia, private practice, or even the corporate world. I think we should celebrate just how diverse the field of nursing is through mentoring one another with the stories of our career journeys. Nothing is too mundane because each journey is unique. This podcast will showcase career options to encourage nurses to view their degrees with a business mindset. After all, we work in the healthcare business. And ultimately, I hope I might inspire you to make a change if you're looking for something different. I am motivated to see you live your best nursing life, and that looks different for everyone. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast, and let's get started with today's guest. Hey guys, this week on the Dr. Nurse Podcast, I have the privilege of chatting with Dr. Jo Neal. She is a RN, MBA, PhD, who has taken her bullying experience as a nurse and made it her passion to combat against in her career. Her expertise, practical tools, and strategies include the meanness matrix and tips to help you combat a bully at your job. She is a nationally recognized speaker, teacher, certified facilitator, and coach. Take a listen. She describes her journey to the headmistress of the School of Bullyology. Hi, Dr. Joe Neal. Thank you so much for coming on the Dr. Nurse podcast today. So happy to have you on from the great state of Michigan. I'm tickled to be here. Let's dive right in. Tell us about your current role slash job title. What are you doing for a living? Well, for a living, I am currently the headmistress of the School of <laughs> Bullyology. And I actually have a company, drjoneal.com, but I have transitioned into actually opening a school for nurses, for other people who have been impacted by the effects of bullying. I not only work with individuals, I also work with organizations. So that's what I'm up to right this exact minute. So how did you get to this spot right here in your career? Take us through your your process and your journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am actually a diploma of nursing graduate. Way back in the late 70s when it was we had three-year school, two-year schools, three-year schools, four-year schools. I was a, a graduate of a diploma program. I eventually went back and got my bachelor's of science in nursing. I have an MBA and I have a doctoral degree in organizational leadership. But in terms of my clinical practice, I started my original practice in the in the emergency room. I found out early on that I was not gifted for bedside nursing. And luckily, and I think all of us need to recognize where we're gifted for and where we're not. Yes. I went to the emergency room because it was high paced and I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. I worked in the emergency room and, and I tell the story. It was before the days of HCAPs when I told the patient to get his blankety blank blood on the blankety blank stretcher. And I went, oh, something's wrong here. I might need to change. <laughs> so I left there. Let me just say, going back to the, the bullying topic, I was never bullied in the operating room. I was very confident. I had been a, a student nurse in that area and I was right out of school. People go, you don't go to the emergency room, but I had my mojo in the emergency room. So I transferred to the operating room and all of a sudden I had no mojo. I was brand new. I was bottom of the the food chain. And actually the operating room that I went to work in, there was actually 12 different services and you had to rotate through every 
service. And I was learning as I went, but there's a lot of stuff to learn, machines and doctors and procedures and all of that. I was toward the end of my orientation and I was orienting in the vascular service. And it got to the place where my preceptor was actually scrubbed in the case and I was circulating. We were doing an aortic aneurysm, the kind before vascular when you're open from nipples to nuts kind of a thing. And the patient filleted wide open. The surgeon was the chief of vascular surgery. I'm trying to set up the dynamics here. That's good. Of this interaction. Painting a picture. Getting to a place and my preceptor looks to me and says, I need you to go get this retractor blade. It was a specific one. And I knew what she was looking for, but I went all the places it should have been and it was nowhere to be found. And I'm calling central processing and I'm sweating and I'm panting and I'm like grabbing strangers in the hallway of the operating room go, where is this retractor? And I eventually went back into the room. Now, keep in mind, the longer the patient stays on the operating room table, the increased morbidity and mortality. So I'm out of the room for about 12 to 13 minutes. I come back, I stand at the foot of the table. I'm a sweaty mess. I look up and I say to my preceptor, I'm so sorry, I couldn't find it. She turns to the physician, pats him lovingly on the hand and says, it's okay. She doesn't know anything. She's brand new. Mm-hmm. And I stood there and like, not only was I thrown under the bus, I was run over by the bus. And yeah. so my credibility for that surgeon was diminished. Now, yeah. here's the end of the story. We finished the case. It's one of those ones where you tell yourself, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> we finished the case. I go out. I take the patient to the recovery room. The manager for central processing comes upstairs and goes to me and she goes, John, the person, she knew that that retractor blade was out for repair. You are kidding me. I, I can't make it up. I can't make it up. No. So not only did she oh. put me at risk, she put that patient at patient risk. Patient at risk. Only so that she could look special in front of the chief of, of that service. And she was the queen of the service. We all have those queens. What is that, it like the mean girls? I would say so. <laughs> Everybody say so. wants to be their friend, but yeah. nobody really likes them. <laughs> yes. That was the first time I can remember really and truthfully having this nurse to nurse bullying. But I knew from that point on, that was going to be something that I was aware of. Now, again, there's things in our profession. And again, I graduated in the late 70s and even in the late 70s. Now, keep up. Remember how long ago we're talking about our teacher said (laughs) nurses eat their young. Now, this is in the late 70s. We are in 2020 and God dang it, it's still going on. Why haven't we fixed it? So I yep. I knew from that point that was something that I was going to be over. Bullies seemed to come up in my life in other areas, professionally. And I got stronger, but it seemed like every time I got stronger for one level of bullying, I got bullied by somebody else yeah. in a higher position. It's like what Joyce Meyer says, new level, new devil. And so I was constantly aware of it and constantly growing. I will say that I was impacted by the consequences of bullying. And I think, let me just pause for a second and, and say bullying affects our mind, our body, and our spirit. Now, it affects our mind where we start to lose confidence in in ourselves. It's like we start questioning our ability. And a lot of the folks that I've interviewed who have been bullied as nurses are really superstars. They're very, very good, but they've got an Achilles heel. And somehow that bully just goes for the carotid kind of a thing. I'm going to get you. And so our self-esteem starts to, we start questioning ourselves. We know very well what the physical consequences of bullying. We eat too much. We smoke too much. We get diarrhea. We we have thought in our bodies are like, it takes an impact on that. But most of all, it takes our spirit. We start to lose hope. Now, the most extreme cases that I've talked with folks are people who actually committed suicide because of that bullying. So if we- Wait, wait, wait. So there are nurses that you've heard of that have killed themselves because of the bullying that was going on on their floors or in their communities. Yes. 
I'm aware of, of six that I can name their wow. names. And that's the thing that should take that should take everyone's breath away. That's like a punch to the gut. Dr. Joniel, one of the things that I've as you've kind of described your story and you got to this point and you were standing there in the operating room and you're being embarrassed, you're mm -hmm. being belittled. Like, what is one of the things that through your education, you were able to develop to kind of help nurses mm -hmm. through that process? Well, this has been a journey. It, it And every place I grabbed a little bit more knowledge. What I want everyone to understand is that the main goal is not to let those people under your skin. And that is so hard to do. Let me just go on record. And if any of you are WandaVision fans, it's like building your hex around you. I did my doctoral dissertation on bullying in the operating room. And so this isn't anything that I just left that day at the foot of the OR table. I continued on with this. I do want to also say not only are nurses impacted by bullying, but there is a direct correlation to a nurse being bullied and a patient outcome, which we can touch base mm -hmm. in a couple minutes. But, yeah. but one of the things kind of came to me, sort of like synthesis of all this information is I created a tool. It's called the meanness matrix. And it's a three by three grid. And along the bottom is a delineation of what kind of a person am I actually dealing with? Am I dealing with a person who's rude? And again, those people are unintentional. They don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to aggravate so-and-so's life. And moving to the right there, there are people that are true bullies. And a bully is someone who has real or perceived power over you and chooses to use that. And a narcissist or someone who has narcissistic personality tendencies is someone who really lacks the capacity to have empathy or care for anyone else. And that's a pathological condition. And we know some folks like that. Now, sure. when once we identify what kind of a person we're looking at, we go up the vertical axis and at the bottom are people that don't matter. Now, again, they don't matter to me. They matter to Jesus. They just don't matter to me. Yeah. And then you go up the chain and then you have people who, who matter a bit. And these are people that you have tangential relationships with. It could be your next door neighbor whose dog is barking. It could be your kid's teacher. It could be a distant relative. These are folks that kind of come in and out of your life, but they don't necessarily impact direct, some directly, but not as much. But the key part are the people who really have influence on your life, your spouse, your parents. Now, your manager or leader can either be matters a lot or matters a little bit. But then when you figure out what kind of a person am I dealing with, where do they fall in this degree of influence, you can find yourself in a grid that has a strategy for each one of those techniques. But the main part I want everyone to get their minds around is I want you to recognize you have to build your force field or your hex or whatever you want to call it. And don't let them get through because once they get the, past your wall of protection or your boundary or whatever you want to call it, then those consequences of bullying start to impact. Now, I'm going to go on record as saying it's hard as heck to do this. But step one is having an awareness of what's going on. And one of the things that's on the meanness matrix, and again, I'll make sure that I send you a copy and you can share it with yeah, your listeners. Step one, or one of the key strategies, never believe what the bully said. Never believe it because they're trying to influence you in a way, uh, again, sucks the life out of you, makes you start questioning yourself, all of that. So then they somehow feel better because you feel worse. And so the less, and, and there are times that you have to directly interact with them. But the one thing I'm going to say about us for nursing, and I have another tool that I'm also going to share with you is 
we need to start taking some emotion out of it. And we as nurses, as women are pretty much, I lead with my emotion. You can tell where I'm at. But in this instance, I've had to get to where I can explain this non-emotionally. And this tool, it's how to chart bullying so your voice will be heard. And the key aspect of this is don't go into your manager saying, oh my God, they were so mean to me and they made me cry. And then your managers are going to go, Oh, okay. Because then it becomes your word against their word. And again, I've been a nurse manager, director of nursing, all of the above. Another thing, please do not slip a note under your manager's door that says so-and-so was awful and don't sign it. Because guess what? She throws that right into the wastebasket. I'm sure of it. So if you can say, here's the date, here's the time, here's where this happened, here's what was said. Now, this again is use the exact words. You can add a little bit after you say she or he said this, 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 this. Here's who heard it. Here's the staff. Here's the patient. Here's the impact on me. Here's the impact on our unit. And here's the impact on our organization. And I'll give an example of that is that say you got so distraught that you couldn't get your work done. And so you ended up staying an hour and a half overtime. Figure out the cost of an hour and a half overtime. And that was the impact on the organization. They had to pay overtime because you got bullied. And it's hard to make that correlation. But if you can get to that point, that will get your manager's attention. That will, And that's what I want you to kind of get your minds around that we can't just go, I could have said, oh my God, my preceptor was so awful. She made me look bad. Instead, I said, she sent me for a retractor that was out for repair. The patient stayed on the operating room 15 minutes longer, therefore increasing their morbidity and mortality by X percent. And OR time is $110 per minute. So do you see how that kind of flows down to that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it takes the emotion out of what's happening and actually relays it in a way that hospitals can measure and say, this is affecting patient outcomes. It's not just about my emotions. That was hard for me to have to deal with, but I'm a big girl. I can do it. But you realize that you were hurting other people Mm -hmm. with whatever this little stunt was that you just pulled. So that is way more powerful, uh, appealing to what matters to the hospital. It's going to make them care about the bullying issue. That is a very, very good insight on the issue. And through your journey, you're saying after that moment in the OR, you then you said, I didn't let it go. I I kept pursuing that. And that's what led you to get your master's degree and then your doctoral degree. Correct. Correct. And I knew that I was going to study bullying. I knew that I I knew from day one that that was going to be my focus. And it was interesting because when I when you're in a non quote unquote nursing program, I had people go, oh, Joniel, that's not a problem. Bullying in nursing isn't a problem. It's like, oh, dear God, please just just go (laughs) along with me on this one. Yeah, just trust me. I have to just real interestingly enough is I went through three committee chairs in my doctoral program until I finally got a nurse as my committee chair. And she and I was done in nine months. Her name is Darlene Hess. She's my saint. And I got done in no time because she she got it. She got it. And she got me too. That is really cool. And you said you had some experience in nurse leadership as well. Oh. You worked on the bedside and then at some point, I mean, you worked in the OR, but then at some point you became like the manager of the OR. I did. I did. I I became a manager, ran the OR board. Trust me, you can get bullied by surgeons. Like, give me a time. I need to go now. All of those kind of things. And that's where you have to say, follow the policy. 
the policy says if you want to bump so-and-so, you have to call them. And then all of a sudden, their emergency wasn't quite such an emergency. So that's a, a part of it. And then I became director and, and all of that. Then I actually spent 10 years with a company called the Advisory Board based out of Washington, D.C., where we did healthcare research. And I was in four hospitals in five days helping nurse leaders become better leaders. But one of the areas that I became sort of clinical expert is we did a program on disruptive behavior. I think many of us know that in 2008, the Joint Commission issued a sentinel alert saying organizations that do not address disruptive behavior, which bullying is for sure a disruptive behavior, will be cited and will be in all of that. And that came out in 2008. And here we are in 2021, and it's still happening. Clearly, something is amiss here. And again, I think it's still happening, and it's not getting talked about either. I think that the way that you word it in the documentation shows like, it doesn't matter if this is just a catfight girl games, like we need to get in here and mm-hmm. Start talking about this because it's directly affecting patients and other nurses' well-beings. And of the people that I interviewed, and I interviewed at the beginning of 2020, the year of the nurse, I was really going to go gung-ho about this. COVID happened, so that got kind of pushed. But I'd interviewed 20 nurses, and most of the nurses said that they experienced more bullying in their early years of practice. And so of late, I have been very concerned about our new graduates who are graduating post-COVID and that we as a profession kind of need to wrap our arms around them and say, we're going to welcome you into our profession. We're going to we're going to be preceptors. We're going to help you. You didn't get the clinical that you should have, but that doesn't matter. We still want you. We want to help you. And I think that's a, an area that our entire profession, along with all the things we've been through with COVID, we can look at this particular moment in time and say to those who are, we are welcoming into our practice, we want you. We want to help you. We want to care for you. We want to make sure that you're successful. What would you describe as the difference between a hard preceptor, meaning one that's like making sure that you're on your game versus one that's bullying? Because Mm -hmm. I feel like in my experience, I've had hard preceptors and there have been moments where they've asked me hard questions in front of patients and I wasn't prepared and I wasn't ready. And then it makes me think like, I never want to be in that position again. She was right. I didn't know they answer to that question. And so before I walk into the room, I want to know this, this, and this, and that versus one that you're like, she's just being mean to me. She doesn't like me. Like, how do you differentiate between the two? I think relationships, understanding, communication. I think the preceptee has to own a piece of their process and have those hard conversations with the preceptor. Like, I really want to be the best. Push me as hard as you want to push me Mm. versus somebody who wants to deliberately. And the key word too, I think is deliberate. I think it's they deliberately want to make themselves look better so you look worse and humiliation and all of that stuff. I I think they have a sense of, let's shoot, I got humiliated in my orientation. I'm going to do the same to you. And I've heard that many a time. If you can't, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's, that's not a healthy way to deal with this. It's like hazing. Exactly. Exactly. And I think one of the key elements too, that you're going to see on the meanness matrix is can we see each other as people? You have to recognize you will never change the bully's behavior. Only the bully can change if they so choose to change. Now, I'm going to have a little sidebar here. Organizations must have a code of conduct that is enforceable, enforced, and have the courage to do it. I think organizations can address the bully's behavior, 
when it's documented and all of that. But you yourself must protect your heart, your spirit, your mind, body, spirit. If your preceptor can see you as a person and you have those conversations, you say, make me the best. And then the, the precept, I've had preceptors that did that. And then they give you the wink afterwards because they know that, that it was good for you. And maybe I'm not yeah. describing it well, but those are the, it's that relationship piece. It's that understanding piece. It's that willingness to make that preceptee the best they can possibly be, even if they're better yeah. than you. I had some students and I was really hard on them. And I got feedback that they felt like I was putting them down. And mm -hmm. I struggled with that. Like I have not taught since then because I oh. felt like Sandra really need to look at yourself because you've experienced bullying. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be a bully. And I remember thinking I was so worried about them making mistakes because I had made mistakes yeah. that I was actually teaching out of my wounding yeah. and being so afraid that I was like, listen, you need to be perfect here because I made mm -hmm. a mistake here. And I don't want you to ever make a mistake here. I want you to know what you're doing, why you're giving it, where you're giving it. I had to spend some time with myself and realize like I, I was so hurt by that situation that then I was kind of like living out my trauma with my students. And they were like, dude, what's your problem? If we can prevent the bullying from yeah. the front end, then we probably would not have so many other nurses that kind of go through that same process and think like, mm -hmm. oh gosh, I don't want you to deal with this. And so you might be reacting out of your own issues. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a really sensitive topic and it's, and it, it is an issue that a lot of new nurses are going to be dealing with. And I think it's amazing that you're tackling it and you're bringing it to the forefront and you're making people look at this issue because it is sensitive. And it's one of those things that we just like to cover it up and pretend like it's not happening and just yeah. go like, oh, this isn't a big deal. And then you start to see this ripple effect. I'm really glad that you're that you're talking about this and that you've spent your whole career, your profession. So can you give me an example of maybe one of the, the biggest successes in your career up until this point? Well, one of the things we haven't talked about is that I was married to a bully as well. And wow. so that's a whole nother podcast episode. Wow. But I was a rock star at work. I mean, I was, I, I was good. I was really good. But I was married to this person who literally sucked the life out of me. I think that some of the things, the tendencies that we get bullied at work are also in our personal life too. Mm -hmm. And it's a long, long story. I was in the last oh semester gosh. of my BSN and now ex-husband had come home from prison and I got breast cancer in the last semester of my BSN. And God bless my BSN cohorts. They took care of me. And that's, like I said, that's a whole nother thing. But when I decided to leave my ex-husband, I left him with my nine year old daughter and a one suitcase full of sequins formals. That's a whole nother story. But the point being is that I was a single mom doing cabbages on call, working and trying and getting my master's degree. So when I got my master's degree and my ex-husband had a college degree, but not a master's, and this is kind of like your own personal moment. When they hood you, you turn to the person and you turn around to the state, to the people in the audience. And in my mind, and this is all captured on video, I'm smiling and in my head, I'm going blank ex-husband name, you will never touch me again. And I, so maybe that's a different kind of success you're looking at, but that's a journey for me. That was my Rocky moment. Can't you see Rocky standing up there? Feel that. Like, that's such a beautiful picture of you just being hooded and uh -huh. like waking up as like a Jedi Knight. Just like, I'm this. And, and, yeah. that, and that was sort of like that sort of healing moment kind of thing. It's like all the things you said to me that I was fat and ugly and had only one boob and nobody would ever want me and all those kind of doesn't yeah. matter. You can't touch me. And that's the message I think if we if people can take away from this conversation is that you have to do your own internal work. 
to get to where you can't touch me. You're out there and you're doing crappy things, but what? I'm strong. I'm good. I got up my thing. You could do all you want. I'm going to turn around and raise my fist and say, you can't get me now. You can't do it. That's the takeaway. Dr. Joniel, one of the things that I feel like, and again, this, hopefully this is something that you can understand, but whenever you're a young nurse and you're starting off in your career, how do you get that chutzpah? How do you get that fire inside you when you're, at least when I was a new nurse, I was 21 years old. I barely mm-hmm. knew myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a baby. I just got in, you know, out of yeah. high school. And so how do you find that thing inside of you, that void when you don't have the life experience? Like, do yeah. you have to go through the life experience? Oh, like, how can you infuse it in someone without yeah. having to experience something yeah. terrible? I actually work with teenage girls as well in a program, a a club kind of a thing. And we talk a lot about that is who are you and what were you brought here to do? I have a strong belief in that and not everybody does. I think everybody's here for a reason. But I gained knowledge by just ask. And the one thing I would tell any new nurse, recognize you don't know it all. Mm -hmm. Recognize that. Recognize you don't know it all and find the person. And it may not be your preceptor. You could say, okay, Mrs. So-and-so did this and this. And here's what I think it is. Am I right? Can I do this? And and you're going to gain some of that. Some of it really, it is a passage of time and the passage of experience. But what I'm hoping is that our nursing profession can allow our new members, our apprentices, if you will, to spend, to be nurtured and grown and helped. And if, if a seasoned nurse is doing something that doesn't happen very often, grab that apprentice and say, hey, come with me for just a minute. It's only going to take a second and then say, hey, Susie, watch so-and-so's patient while I show her this. But we don't yeah. do that. We don't because we think power, we think knowledge makes us powerful. And if I know how to do this and she doesn't, then I'm needed on this unit. Well, what happens when you go on vacation and nobody can do that thing that you can do? With some of the books that I've been reading about leadership and development and intentional living, they talk about not feeling this mindset of like scarcity. Mm -hmm. Like there is this scarcity mindset where you just think there isn't enough and you're like, I have to hoard what I have. And Mm -hmm. it's like, actually, if you give away what you have, you will end up getting more. I feel like as women, we have this idea of like, there's not enough husbands, there's not enough, there's not enough this, there's like, we got to get like, we're all fighting for spoons. And it's, you know, that game where you put all the spoons in the middle and everyone's like, you know, there's one less spoon and you just, you don't want to be the one that doesn't get a spoon. And like, I just think that scarcity mindset pulls us back from advancing. And if Mm -hmm. we were like you're describing, like, absolutely, go get that nurse. Let me go show her how to do this. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, what I know, I want to share with you, like, here, have it, like that you will begin to live a life with an open palm and mm-hmm. you will realize your palm will never be empty, right? Yes, 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 right? yes, for sure, for sure. One of the concerns I have is my generation of nurses are pretty much, for the most part, retired. And I think about the intellectual capital that's gone oh, now. I, I feel strongly about that too, that there's a there's a chance that you think about the archetypal sitting at the foot of somebody knowledgeable kind of thing. And I think we as a profession haven't, we've shunned our elders, we've shunned all of those people, and then we're mean to our kids. So we need to have that identity of the kind, loving people that we are, because people who go into nursing, I believe 99.999999 are kind and loving. And, and what amazes me is I've seen nurses 
nurses be so unbelievably kind in a room and they'll come out in the hallway and rip the face off of somebody who walks by. And I think, mm-hmm. what is that all about? That was a beautifully painted picture. And I feel like that is that part of your your probably challenges that you've had to overcome is breast cancer mm-hmm. and a husband that was just a total whack job. I told you I spent 10 years at the advisory board. It was like the best. Those were those are some of the mentors that I had. Hundreds of hospitals that I went to. I, I was able to touch people's lives and, and they touched mine as well. And to just hear the stories and to be with nurses every single day was wonderful. But I actually left that job. I, I got remarried to a wonderful husband who I met in an airport. That's another story. But I just I took a job as a director of nursing in our local hospital. And it was it was sort of like I know it was the ER and OR. And I'd been there a week and we flunked the joint commission and we had to spend the next year being in survey hell. But the piece of that one is the CEO of that organization was toxic. And people say, oh, it's just toxic leaders, blah, 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 blah. But let me tell you, he said to me one time, until you've been here for six months, keep your damn mouth shut. It's like, oh. say what? And he put that in writing. So let me just tell you the end of the story is that I kept records. I documented unemotionally all the things that happened. And why? when I woke up with seven ulcers and gained 30 pounds, I knew something mm-hmm. had to change. And a long story short, there was a, a nexus event. I just got pushed to the point where I had to do something. And I made an appointment with the vice president of the corporate human resources. And I took in my data. And I have to say, this is an organization that I believe has extreme courage because he took me by the hand and said, Joe Neal, nobody needs to work under these conditions. I don't know what's going to happen. Here's my card. Call me if you need me. And 10 days later, that CEO was walked out of the building. Wow. So don't say it can't happen now. Because of your documentation. Well, I was like the catalyst. They interviewed 40 other people in the midst of this time, but I was the one who presented it in such a way that they could see how this was impacting the organization. And so people say, well, you can't do anything about HR and you can't do anything about your manager. Organizations have to have courage to say, we don't want you here. And they have to have the documentation to do that. I've been at organizations where they were in the farthest, northest part, and they had one orthopedic surgeon who was a complete total turd and was sending people elsewhere. And the organization said, we can't, we can't fire him. He's our only orthopedic surgeon in 150 miles. And I've been at other hospitals that had the same situation and said, we don't need your kind of toxicity in our organization. We'll find another orthopedic surgeon. So organizational courage is a piece of this as well. At some point, when you look back in history too, right? Like Mm -hmm. Hitler was a bully, right? And the whole world took Mm -hmm. it until eventually we said, no more with the bully. You got to go, bro. Right. It just takes that courage. And and I think it was, there's like a a really famous quote that's like, something flourishes when good men do nothing. The only thing for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. That's it. That's the saying. That's what like keeps coming to my mind when you describe that whole process of Mm -hmm. you just standing there. I'm not going to just let evil continue. Like if we say nothing, if we do nothing, Mm -hmm. it will continue. We've got to stand. You've got to make a stand. And I think we have a voice. I think nursing has a voice if we can just stop picking on each other. And stand together. And that is what keeps you weak is that you Mm -hmm. don't stand arm in arm. We tend to just want to fight with the people next to us. It's like if we actually stood arm in arm, we would be pretty much able to stop anything that was evil going on. I feel like Brene Brown talks about that. She does. Look what 
happened when that senator said we played cards on our break? Look at those things. We have the power. We have the opportunity to do some of these things. But it's always like, who's going to be first? I don't care who's first as long as we get there. The back of the bus gets there too, just as well as the front of the bus. I agree. Incredible. Those are such incredible examples. And did you, you were going to start to kind of allude to it. Any mentors along the way? Did anybody like come alongside you and kind of help you through this process? There's been so many. I can't really pick up, like my advisory board colleagues were some of the most amazing people I worked with. And they were from all over the country. They were nurses from all over. And they encouraged me. The one day that I was going to jump off the Washington Monument because I couldn't get my doctoral dissertation done, they were the group that held me and said, don't jump, don't jump. But I have always been an avid learner. And I believe when the student is ready, the the teacher will appear. People have come into my life at the right exact moment for me to synthesize what happened last. And I think you have to be open to that. Like the mean, I'll tell you the story about about the meanness matrix and you can believe it or not believe it. But my husband and I were driving in his little convertible in the upper peninsula of Michigan. The top was down, the sun was beating on my head and all of a sudden the meanness matrix came to me. And I'm like jotting Mm. it on the back of a McDonald's wrapper kind of a thing. And I just believe that that was like, okay, Jonil, you've come to this place. Here you go. Here's your next step. And if you're open to that, it will come. I like that. If you build it, it will come. I like it. And what advice would you give to a new nurse starting off? I feel like you've given so much nuggets along this whole interview, Mm -hmm. but what would be kind of your whole like summarized, like wham, bam statement of like, this is what I want you to take home for this whole chat. I would say, take care of you because you're no good to everybody else. If you're not in a good place. That's what I would say. I think that self-care is not a matter of like getting a manicure. Can I, I say actually, amen to that? Amen. I feel that's such a simple thing. Yep. I feel self-care is spend time with yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because nursing is so emotionally heavy, spending time in therapy or just spending time like meditating and reflecting mm-hmm. on things. I just kept going. I was just like, just keep going to school. Just keep working. And then <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa, I might be really messed up. And one of the first times that I, I noticed that was with my students, mm-hmm. whoa, Sandra, like spend a second here because you are not caring for yourself Mm -hmm. and you haven't for years. You've just been so busy that your issues are starting to come through. There is a book and I'm looking for it on my bookshelf here about the wounded healer because it's a really poignant. And I think just growing into yourself. I think we want to be done before we're done. We're not done. You think, okay, I got the diploma. I'm done. No, you're not done. I got that school. No, you're not done. Be open and and be willing. Therapy and coaching are the two things that have made a difference in my life in terms of processing this, because some of this stuff is so heavy. You just don't know how to do it on your own. And you hold it in. And the minute you hold it inside, it starts to become an infection. And that's when you get what I call it is bullyitis. When you get bullyitis, then it affects you. And you've got to like, I need to have some antibiotics. Okay, let me go see a therapist or let me get a coach. This isn't something you should do on your own. You got to breathe the wound. You got to open it up, see what's in there. Advice. And the last part of our interview is the rapid fire question. Okay. Questions. questions. So the first question is, what is your favorite word? It's probably a (laughs) swear word and I can't say it on this podcast. And sometimes it just feels so good to say. So when I can't say that, it's probably jeepers. What is one of your favorite books? Oh, gosh. 
Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frank. I read it pretty much every year at some point. And when I had gone through that thing with the CEO, I got that right off my right off my bookshelf. It's worn, it's torn, it's written in, but it has so much to say. His message is, is you can change the circumstances, can do all sorts of things. This is the gentleman that was in the concentration camp. He was a physician in a Nazi concentration camp. And he said, you can take everything away from me, but my attitude. And that is, I think, one of the best lessons we can learn. Okay. And I feel like you're this kind of girl. What is the first concert you ever attended? That's so old. You're going to, it's like, it's going to tell you how old I am. Okay. John Denver. Who's John Denver? <laughs> there you go. There you go. It was like this folk singer guy. I was probably like 12 sort of a thing. <laughs> and, and in Flint, Michigan, there was the IMA Sports Arena and he came and he sang, like he sang Annie's song, Country Roads, Almost Heaven, West Virginia. John Denver. I was like, this lady goes to concerts. Yeah, just, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and chatting. So happy to have you. And your whole conversation is just littered with such sweet little pieces of knowledge. <laughs> They're just awesome little morsels for our souls. So thank you. Well, thank you for asking me. It's like I said, it is my mission to get this message out to nurses oh. and to other people. And I think at the time is right after what we've been through in the last couple of years and all of that as a, as a nation, as a profession, as a world, we need to see some of this. Love it. Thank you. You're welcome. We are at the end of our time together. I really enjoyed the chat. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave us a review if you like the show. I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse Podcast is on Instagram, so please follow us there for any updates on new podcasts and inspirational information to help you on your own journey. You could always message me at the Dr. Nurse Podcast at gmail.com with any career information or professions that you're interested in hearing about. And as always, thanks for listening. I want to thank my biggest fan supporter on Patreon, Kevin Pryor, for your support of this podcast. If you love this podcast and want to throw some support my way, I would greatly appreciate it. My link is in the show notes. And just a reminder, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used as substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or other professional advice or services. 